My name is Ricky Spindler. I'm, I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and it's just a privilege to have you with us today. And I want to, uh, if you don't mind, go ahead and, and get your, your Bibles open, your apps open. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. This is going to be uh, uh, just a continuing our to- on the topic of prayer. And I want to just uh, highlight something, because sometimes there's so many things that Stone Creek Church is involved with and so many things we do and that sometimes we just like to significant things happen and, and you might not even know about it but just a few weeks ago Stone Creek uh, actually for the second time we were asked by the Mexican consulate in Chicago if they could come and host an event in Champaign open to the entire uh, nation to attend and uh, see if um, for documented immigrants from the, the nation of Mexico, oftentimes trying to figure out how to get passports, licenses, ID cards, birth certificates. They want to do all of that in one place. So where if you need a passport, but you got to get a birth certificate, then you can just walk over there and get it and then come right back. So we literally had from Tuesday to Saturday, this parking lot was just filled. We served over 700 families. It was, per- it was awesome. Uh, we had 460 passports issued, 210 ID cards, and 35 birth certificates, among a bunch of other things. So that's awesome, man. I just appreciate that. Also, I uh, just want to let you know, you may not realize it now, but uh, everybody's moving in to the University of Illinois this coming week. And so, as you know, there are tens of thousands of people that are going to be descending upon Champaign-Urbana. And typically, Stone Creek will have anywhere between three to 500 college students on our Sunday morning services. And so, yeah, that's a good thing. But we don't have three to 500 chairs left for that. So we're going to be changing our service order on September uh, the 4th, and so we will do an 8 o'clock service in the cafe. We will do a 9 o'clock service in here. Our 10 o'clock online service will move to 1030, and then we will do an 11 o'clock service in here as well. So it's 8, 9, 1030 online only, and then 11 in here. So really, the, the, the in-person service we're adding is 8 o'clock, and all of you 4.30 in the morning, night shift workers, nurses, double-fisted churchgoers with coffee. You guys are going to love the 8 o'clock service, okay? So that'll start on September of the 4th. We are uh, unapologetically highlighting this spiritual discipline of prayer. If you haven't figured it out, uh, we are a church that believes deeply in prayer. We have uh, a weekly prayer meeting that we do on Wednesdays, 6.30 in the morning, noon, 6.30 at night. We just took the summer off and are going back into that. And we're unashamedly highlighting this concept of prayer. I've been to some of the biggest churches in the United States. I've been in the green rooms with the pastors who preach on those platforms. And you don't need God to build a big church in the United States. You can do it with leadership, smoke machines, million-dollar TV screens, and a wonderful show. You can do it. The thing is, that doesn't work a lot of places in the world. It's really unique to the United States in some ways. 
And I'll just say this, you know, I've been in a lot of those places and I've very rarely ever seen a prayer meeting in any of those places. But, you know, we just want to say that we, Jesus said, my house is going to be called a house of prayer, a house of devotion. And so that's what we do. If we, we believe that everything we do here should start in prayer, be sustained in prayer, and it'll finish with prayer right here. And so I just encourage you. People will say, where do I start? How do I get involved in Stone Creek? I, I just want to know what to do. I have your, I have your answer. Come to the prayer meeting. I would rather you skip Sundays and come on Wednesday and pray than to attend on a Sunday morning. That's how much we value the prayer meeting. Jesus, in his uh, Sermon on the Mount, his quintessential teaching on the introduction to the kingdom of God, three times talks about the discipline of prayer. And he gives three metaphors here in two verses, Matthew chapter 7. He says these words, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened for them. A better way to translate that, uh, a, a, a literal translation from the Greek to English would say this. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Jesus was saying there that there is a grit required to the spiritual life. There is a perseverance that's required if you're going to, if I can say this, lay hold of the things through prayer that God has for you. It reminds me of this story I heard recently, a true story, you can look it up. His name was Henry Dempsey. Henry Dempsey was a pilot who flew regional jets, 15 to 20 people on them, from like uh, Maine to Boston was a normal route. After takeoff, he's flying the plane, and he notices a noise in the back of his plane. So he hands over control of the plane to the co-pilot and goes to the back of the plane and discovers, true story, that the door was rattling and it had not been secured properly. As he lays hold of the door, the wind catches the door and blows it completely open and sucks him out of the plane. As soon as that door opens in the cockpit where the co-pilot's flying it, red light comes on. He knows immediately that his co-pilot has been sucked out of the plane over the ocean. He radios ahead and says, hey, pilot has been sucked out of the plane. You need to go to these locations, send the Coast Guard. He then requests an emergency landing and has to veer mainland again. And about 15 minutes later, he lands the plane. When they land the plane, guess what they discovered? Is that Henry Dempsey was still attached to the plane. When he got sucked out of the plane, true story, there was a rope ladder that went flying out as well. And as he was launched out, he grabs and fastens himself to the ladder. He flew 10 to 15 minutes at 200 miles per hour, 4,000 feet dangling off the back of a plane. Come on now, somebody. When he landed, the true story, he claims, my head was six inches to 12 inches from that asphalt, and I was so happy that he had a smooth landing. 
The EMTs that come to like, they, they call to get this brother help. Listen, the whole time he's waiting, he could not release his hands from the ladder. It took them several minutes to pry his hands off of that ladder because that brother wouldn't let go. Now, when I saw that, I got to be honest, first thing that came to my mind, now I'm country, okay? I grew up in the sticks. I'm refined redneck if you want to know what I am. We had a saying back where I'm from, man, you got to hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. Come on. That's what I'm, I mean, if you've ever seen a biscuit and a hair in there, try to pull that thing out. It ain't coming out. Some of you just got a visual you didn't want. And if you don't know what that means, ask your neighbor. They'll help you. So, man, I just love that. I mean, that's the way I think of prayer. I mean, sometimes you just got to lay hold of it and keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. I ain't letting go. Okay? So Jesus gives three levels. And I wanna, we talked about asking, petitioning last week. And today I want to talk to you about the three movements as you move from asking to seeking. These are levels of prayer. They build on one another. Our prayer life often starts with a need, asking, and then it's got to move to seeking, and then you graduate from seeking, if you will, into um, knocking prayer. But now I want to talk to you about three shifts in your mindset and your heart that you have to have to move from ask to seek. The first one is this. You have to move from a self-centered mindset to a God-centered mindset. And, and, and that's important. And, I, and I'll give you some verses that corroborate this. And this could be true for many of the seeking verses in Scripture. Here's Psalm 63. Some of you will recognize this one. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Lots of metaphors going on there. Then I want to read to you a New Testament, Hebrews 11. Here's what it says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Moving from a self-centered to God-centered. What do you mean by that? Well, let's look at Psalm 63 again. Notice the language. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, here it is, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. You can see the shift in his prayer from my need to God, I want you. So let me give you a few thoughts on that. Here's what's true about prayer is that I need God more than anything that I might get from God. I need him more than anything I may get from him. That's an important thing to remember. Now, in prayer, it's a relationship. It's, some people say it's a conversation that God and I have about what he's doing in and through my life. Uh, prayer is relationship. And here's what's beautiful about prayer. God will disclose himself. He will give of himself to you when you pray to him. But here's the thing. He refuses to be abused by you. Manipulated by you. And that's the danger of what happens if you get stuck in asking prayer and never move to seeking prayer. If you stay your whole Christian life in asking prayer, meaning this, the only time you pray is when you have a felt need. Yes. 
then what happens is you will slowly over time make God into an idol. That's a a strong statement. God can become an idol in your life. And it will move from relationship to religion. And this, prayer only becomes a means for you to fulfill your personal ambitions. One that you can manipulate and call upon only when you need. I want the benefit, but I don't want the one that gives the benefit. Do you see this? So in your prayer, it has to move from asking to seeking from self-centered to God-centered. And that'll become very clear as we get further into it. Here's the second, if I can say it, shift that has to happen. I have to move from petition to devotion. I have to move from petition to devotion. Those are two different words. Petition to ask. Devotion means to consecrate. Uh, petitioning prayer, I come because of need. Devotioning prayer, I come to give of myself. I come to consecrate. In other words, I come to surrender. There are two words that describe seeking. To describe it, and I'll read them to you again. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Then it says this in Hebrews 11. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When I read this week those two words, earnestly and diligently, man, those are the two words that stood out to me. And they're the primary words that describe devotion. Earnestly means this, that I am to, this is what it means, literal definition in the Hebrew, it means to aggressively pursue. That means when it comes to moving from asking to seeking, that will not happen lackadaisically. That, uh, that means I'm just not going to wander into discovering more of who God is. It has beca- become passionate. It is an intensity to it. I am to aggressively, vehemently contend for knowing who he is. That is earnestly. And then diligently literally means this, hardworking and focus. Ah, I'll just say it like this. Are you saying, Pastor Ricky, that to seek God is going to be work? It's going to be hard work. And it's going to have the D word. Mm -mm. Discipline. Some of you are like, what D word is he talking about? I know a couple of them. No. Here's the thing. Hard working and focused. So there's going to be diligence required for you and I to move from asking to seeking, from petition to devotion. So the question I have, what does a diligent prayer life, what does an earnest prayer life, a devoted prayer life look like? I think there's three really key elements. And before I give them to you, let me give you the best. If you were to say, Pastor Ricky, what's the best advice you'd give me on prayer? It's not going to be in your notes, but it's important. Here it is. You ready? Keep it simple. Keep it real. And keep it up. Keep it simple. I mean, sometimes, people, we make prayer way too hard. You do not have to pray in King James Version for God to hear. You ever met somebody, you're talking to them normal, and you ask them to pray, oh, thou hast knowest Godest. Hallowed, hallelujah. Thou hast start the God. I'm like, bro, what the heck was that? Keep it simple, people. Keep it real. And just keep it up. Amen. So how do you have devotion prayer? Consecrated prayer. 
It has three elements to it. You have to make it a priority, you have to have a place, and you have to have a pattern. Three things. I've done a lifetime of study on people who pray and just, listen, they have three elements. Jesus had these. There is a, make it a priority, you have to have a place, and you have to have a pattern. So let's talk about these, real simple. This is, we're bringing it uh, to, just to, to the head here. First is this, a priority. Notice Acts 3.1, it says, Now Peter and John, this is a description of the early church, these were leaders in the early church, went up together to the temple, and here's the phrase, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This would have been three in the afternoon. But this is what I love, at the hour of prayer. In the rhythm of the early church, they would have been at the hour of prayer every day as a congregation and as church leaders. But I love that there was a time set aside daily that they were to spend with the Lord. Can I just tell you this? You have time to pray. Listen, you have time. There is no excuse to not pray. And if you don't have time, if we don't have time as a church to pray during the middle of the week, then we're too busy. We're focused on the wrong things. And if you don't have time as a Christian to spend time with the Lord, then you were too busy and your life is not centered around God. It's, it's the truth. And listen, if you just gave God 15 minutes a day, that's almost 100 hours a year. It's 92 hours. I'm just asking you to give him 15 if you just set aside time, listen, you have time to run your kids to every single sporting event. You have time to watch football every week. You, oh, come on, football season's coming back. Hmm. Some of you, about time you clap, brother, about time. It's okay. Listen, you have scheduled all your meetings. Some of you are in ministry, you have all kinds of meetings that you plan, and you are important. I know you're important. But what matters most must never be mer at, at the mercy of what matters the least. And what would your day, what would your life look like if you prioritized time and meet, met with God? Amen. Giving God significant time. There was a story I heard of the Korean War where a, um, it's a true story, a, a group of soldiers were in a foxhole, battles going on. Commander uh, looks to the group of soldiers and says, listen, out on the field, they could hear this man. One of their, their comrades had been shot, was wounded. They could, far enough away where it was going to be some distance, close enough where they could still hear the screams. And the man says, I need a volunteer to crawl out there and go get our wounded comrade and bring him back into this foxhole. And nobody volunteered. Except after a few minutes, a guy volunteers, and he says this, I'll do it. But you have to wait till 9 a.m. The commander looks at his watch and realizes just a few minutes. Okay, we'll wait till 9 a.m. Sure enough, 9 a.m. Pops out of that hot foxhole. Bullets whizzing by. Bombs going off. He's crawling out there. Grabs his comrade and just inches his way back. Pulls him down in that foxhole. And everybody's just like, how did he do this? They're like, this is amazing. They're high-fiving. They're like, hey. commander goes, I got one question. I didn't think you were going to make it, but why did you have to wait till 9 a.m.? He says, sir, I did the math. My mom's a Christian, and I know it's 9 a.m. here. 
but my mom's at home and I know she's getting ready to start prayer. Come on, somebody. And I just figured if I got to go out there and do that, I'm going when she's praying for me. Now listen, let me give you people I, I speak now. I'm the old guy in the room now when I go speak places now. It makes me feel so old. I got gray hair and they're all young. What? And they ask me these questions. How do you parent your kids? How do you influence your kids? And you know, I'll just say this to you. Isn't it interesting? It was in the middle of a battle and the thing he said, I could count on my mom praying. I just encourage you. You want to influence your kids? Get a rhythm in your home to where your kids know that at a certain time, this is where you're at, and this is what you're doing. When I was a youth pastor, I, I had uh, some Nigerian students who complained to me. And they said, Pastor, you've got to talk to my dad. My dad, he gets up so early, and he goes in the basement. And every morning, he wakes us up going, Hallelujah! Can you tell him to stop doing that? Huh? I never did because I thought that's very irritating, but it's also very influential in their life. What a gift he was giving them, you know. So a priority. I wonder if you'll make it a priority, what it will do for your kids. Second is this, a place. You need a place. Here's what Jesus said, or what they said about Jesus in Mark. Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and it says these, and there he prayed. Jesus had a place, a place that he went to. Some people think the Garden of Gethsemane was the place that he always went to. If he was near it, that's where he went and prayed. It is the place of prayer. But notice this, it's a solitary place. That means it's a place where you're not getting interrupted. It's a place where you're not distracted. It's a place where your cell phone is not going to ding. Where you're not tempted to check your emails and your text messages and all of those things and to receive a phone call. It, it's, a, it's a place where you can be alone with God. Because listen, you cannot cultivate a seeking prayer life and multitask at the same time. The Christian life is developed with monotasking. You see that word hardworking and focus. It's where I give God my undivided attention. No distractions. God, I am now turning my face and my heart towards you. You know they say that if you want to develop a habit, you know what they say you should do? It's like running, they say. They say if you want to run, put a pair of shoes at the end of your bed. And the first thing you do, even before you use the restroom, go get a drink of water, anything, put on your shoes. Because if you'll just put on your shoes, you are 70% more likely to actually go on the walk or to go on the run because you've already put your shoes on. Listen, if you would just say, this is my place, I'm putting my Bible out, and I'm putting it all, my journal right there, and every morning I have a place where I meet with the Lord, it would significantly increase the chances of you actually praying. Get a place, a solitary place. Next one is this. You got to have a pattern. When Jesus and Matthew was teaching on prayer, he said this about it. This then is how you should pray. This, then, is how you should pray. You know what he says next? You already know what he says next. He gave the Lord's Prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what he taught them? You don't see it in the English, but you know 
in the vernacular of Jesus' time, do you know what he was doing right there? That was a poem. When he wanted to teach them to pray, what did he, he taught them a poem. So simple, a kid could memorize it, and many of you did as children, but so profound that it can sustain you over a lifetime of prayer. That's beautiful. You know what Jesus did? He gave them a pattern. Now, I'm going to prove to you that you like patterns. Have you ever gone to the gym, paid all that money for a membership, walk up in there, you dress ready to go, you do about 10 minutes on that treadmill, walk around like this, get you a drink of water, and have no clue what to do after that? You talk to somebody, might do a few of these on a machine, look around, I don't know what to do next. And you look at your watch, 30 minutes, you out. You'll do that for a little while, but you'll get bored with it and you won't go back. You know what gyms do now is they have these little circuit training sections. Red lights and green lights. You spend two minutes and, and then you change and you just work your way through 15, 20 machines. Why do they do that? So that you don't have to think about it and you can just follow the pattern. When you pray, if you just come to the place of prayer and you just think about what you might want to do and just pray as you feel led and you just kind of, I don't know, and just let it happen, you'll never pray. You'll never pray. It'll be boring and won't have meaning to it. I encourage you, get a pattern. I'm about to give you one. That's the Lord's Prayer. I pray four patterns every day. I pray four different ones. I got one I pray while I'm still in bed. I got one that I pray when I'm making the breakfast. I got four ones that I just consistently try to work my way through every day. And part of this one I'm about to give you right now, the Lord's Prayer, it says, hallowed be thy name. What I want to do, and this is the third shift, and it close with this. The, shirt, the third shift is, the third movement, is you have to move from a what to a whom. From what to whom. Because behind your what is a whom. You came because you needed, uh, you needed money to pay the rent. You needed a job. Graduated, didn't know where to go. So you're praying. Your need drove you to prayer. And what you discover behind your what is a whom. So... You needed provision, and you found out that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And your focus goes from a what to a whom. Now, I'll say this. Where petitioning prayer is asking, seeking prayer is worshipful. And I'm going to give you some ways that you can worship the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you seven of these and seven different names that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. These are called the salvific names of God, if you need a theological term. These are uh, all found in Psalms 23. They're all found in Psalms 103. And this is the, the, the names that are connected to the person of Jesus. The first one is on the screen there, Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. Here's another one, Jehovah Sidkenu. He is God our righteousness. There's another one, Jehovah Rapha. He's the God, our healer. Here's another one. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is God, our protector. There's another one. He's Jehovah Shema. Our God is present. And then the last one. He's Jehovah Rohi. God, our shepherd. Actually, got one more. Jehovah Shalom. He's God, our peace. I'll go through them again slowly this time. Go back to the beginning, Jehovah Jireh. That means this. You come because you have a need in this area, but you realize very quickly 
but he's bigger than just your need. And then you realize, man, listen, God, you're my provider, and you have everything that I need, and I worship you. Because if I have you, then I have provision. You may have a life-controlling issue, and you're like, man, your prayer is I need God to set me free. And it's the besetting sin, the life-controlling sin, that's cyclical, that always causes you to come to the God in prayer. That's, that's good that you come to prayer because of that need. But what you'll find that, that you have a God who can open the heavens and rain down righteousness on you and clothe you in righteousness. You may come here and you may, I got a cancer diagnosis. I got AFib in the heart. I got all these issues. Or somebody I love is sick and it drives you to prayer to petition him. But what you discover is that he is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals. And he's willing and he wants to heal. You know, you may be in here and the bullets are flying everywhere uh, and you're living in a community where there's literal bullets flying everywhere. Or you're, you're saying, hey, man, I'm terrified. My kids are going to school and it seems like it's a war zone. And you're just saying, what do I do? Jehovah Nisi. He's the God who protects. And you discover that he, that's who he is. Jehovah Shema. He's present. You feel lonely. You feel discouraged. No one sees you. No, 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 no. He's the God who's present. You know, and, and you have uh, Jehovah Shalom. Maybe you're filled with anxiety and stress. And that brings you to the place of prayer. But then you realize he's the God who brings a supernatural peace. You need prayer for direction, and you discover that he's the God who gives direction. He sees all, knows all, and there's no problems in heaven, only plans, and he has a plan. Can I tell you, petitioning leads you to seeking, and seeking ultimately will lead you to worship. So as we close, we are now going to have a prayer meeting, and we're going to pray through the seven names of Jesus. I want you to stand. And we're going to get ready to close. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Let me read to you Psalms 10.4. It says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. Now think about that. If you don't seek the Lord, it's because your heart's filled with pride. Ultimately, that's what it means. If you and I don't seek the Lord, it's a result of our pride. And it says, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Listen to what it says. In his pride, the wicked man, someone who doesn't seek the Lord, can move towards wickedness. You know, Solomon's son, David's grandson, was a man by the name of Rehoboam. And he becomes king. And it says this about him. This is interesting. And he did great evil in the sight of the people and God. And it, here's what it says. Because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He didn't set it. He didn't set his heart to seek the Lord. And he did great evil. I want to encourage you. The greatest way to send deterrent is just to have a heart that seeks the Lord. Turn your heart towards the Lord. So can we humble ourselves? You got eight minutes. I'm going to show you that you can have a significant time with God over eight minutes. I want you just to bow your heads, close your eyes, and put your hands in front of your palms up. And listen, I'm talking to everybody in this room. 
lifelong Christian, doctor, lawyer, teacher, manager, student. I don't care what your profession is, business owner. Humble yourself before the Lord. Let me speak to you if you're in here and you're not yet a Christ follower. You have not surrendered your life to Jesus. How do I get saved? Oh, listen, that's easy. Call upon the name of Jesus. The Bible says it's the name above all names. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. It's as simple as that. And in a place of humility right now, call upon his name. How do you do that? Pray. Say, Jesus, in your name I ask you to save me. I give my life to you. Cleanse me from all my sin. Wash me. Make me new. If you've turned your back on the Lord and walked away, man, get it right now. This is your moment. Turn to the Lord. But now let me speak to the rest of you. As they're praying, now I want you to pray. We're going to worship the names of Jesus for just a few seconds. Let's start with Jehovah Jireh. Come on, can you with your mouth and your words now say something like this? Lord, you're my provider. You may have a great need in here. You don't know where the provision is going to come from. Don't worry about that. That's secondary. He's the provider. Can you thank him that he's Jehovah Jireh? That he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. That he already knows where it's going to come from. And you can be at rest. Just worship him as Jehovah Jireh right now. Just a few seconds. If he's already provided for you and you see his provision on a regular, just thank him for it right now. Come on, moving right along. He's Jehovah Sid Canoe. He's the God, our righteous one. He has the ability to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to let you walk in and out of bondage into freedom. And if you're bound with something, man, it's a it's a it's a lust, it's a greed. It, I mean, I'm telling you, it's an alcoholism, it's an addiction, and you need to be free. Come on, just lift him up today. He's my righteous one, Jehovah Sid Canoe. I thank you, Lord. Come on, some of you may be just getting set free right now. Just lift his name up. You're seeking the Lord. There's another one. He's the healer. Some of you may need to be healed this morning. Or know somebody you love who needs to be healed. Come on, lift your voice to the Lord and just thank him that he's the healer. That one touch from him can heal you. They can restore you physically, mentally, emotionally. God, I just lift my name to you. Lord, lift your name. You're the healer. Come on, Jehovah Nisi. He's the protector. Come on. It doesn't matter. A thousand can come against you. People are never your enemy. It's the devil who's your enemy. You have nothing to fear. You may be a teacher walking back into the school year, and you're like, what am I going to do? Listen, you don't got to worry about that. He's Jehovah Nisi, the one who protects you. Lift his name up this morning. Come on. Just lift it up a little bit. Come on. He's Jehovah Shema. He's the one who's present. You're not alone this morning. You may be discouraged and wonder where he's at. You may feel like I'm in a, I'm in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. It couldn't get worse than here. But he's in there with you. Come on. Just thank him that he's present with you. He's present with your children who are far off. He's present. 
Come on, he's Jehovah Rohi. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know what's going on. Don't worry about it. He's got a plan. Just thank him that he's the good shepherd. He's got that person to replace you set up. He knows exactly what he's going to do with you. I just worship you, Lord. I thank you that you got a plan. And now let's thank him for his peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. He is the God who brings that supernatural peace. And you may need him to steady you. You may need him to encourage you in that way. No, no, don't worry about that. Don't ask him for nothing. Just say you're the God of peace. One word from you can steady my heart. You're it. I bless you, Lord. And now before we close this time of prayer out, come on, let's just end. We're just declaring the words of this song. It's a wonderful song. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Would you guys sing that and lead us as we close?